Maverick has gone forward with Stewart to the right. Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Right, Jeff, what a week. But before all that, your trivia question. When a, when a striker scores a hat-trick, it, it's notable. And when he scores a hat-trick of only headers, it's even more notable. But there are some players who scored four headed goals in one match. But there is one player who scored five. So who is the player who scored five headed goals in one match? Something to get your head round. We'll have the answer at the end of the show. Before that, let's have a look at what's been going on this last week. The first game on Saturday was your mob, West Ham, uh, on a bit of a run away at Man City. I think we both thought that would be a routine 3-0 for Man City, but actually came close. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a, an argument that West Ham would have been draw. I don't think they were. Um, I think had City wanted to, you know, had, had West Ham made the mistake of getting a second and drawing, then City would have gone ahead to win. But it was, it was a good match. West Ham played well and you have to be honest and say losing 2-1 to City at City at the moment the way they're playing is actually not a bad result and luckily for the for the Hammers nobody around them won either uh, no the, the teams nearest to you are sort of also not showing willingness to compete for that top four spot so I think probably you'd have frightened a few of them with getting a, first of all getting a goal at City which is something that uh, very few people are doing and coming close yeah I, I think the uh, something you said earlier on the, the, the thing which marks this West Ham team out as being different is that after the match they were disappointed to have lost 2-1 you can imagine in the last few years West Ham would go oh yeah if we only lose 2-1 at City then that'll be great the players actually believe that they're good enough to to compete with or maybe beat everybody except City of course most people are going to be beaten 2 or 3-0 there Um, you know City do keep uh, clean sheets so I think it was quite frightening for the other teams around you who as I say not really competing for that top four the other most controversial game I think of the weekend was immediately after that which was West Brom 1 Brighton 0 another sort of unexpected result I think really I don't think anybody expected West Brom to win I mean I thought that would be a draw but there was controversy with terrible refereeing I think that's the only way we can say it I I think terrible refereeing does it more justice than it deserves it was absolutely shocking I think Lineker described it as the worst refereeing performance he'd ever seen and you'd have to say it probably was I mean how the referee who knows he did not hold his whistle up to say wait can then disallow the goal Brighton were the team that were were penalised they were the innocent team here you should be allowed to take free kick whenever you want it and the, and the rules say that you can unless the referee holds up the whistle and says you wait for me because something else has happened that he needs to sort out there was nothing happening that he needed to sort out because West Brom weren't ready well so what who cares well Brighton captain Lewis Dunk he came out and spoke to the media and said I said to the referee can I take it he blew his whistle and I took it and then they went and look at, uh, looked at VAR then there was a second whistle before the ball crossed the line and all this sort of thing and uh, Lewis Dunk said why doesn't he come out and speak to the press and explain himself like I have to and we've spoken about that before but I think referees should explain their decisions and secondly this morning we saw an article saying Chris Sutton thinks referees should be mic'd up so we can hear what they're saying well Chris Sutton is 100% right referees in rugby union are mic'd up 
that doesn't doesn't do any damage to anybody. In fact, it helps. It helps the crowd understand why he's made the decision he's made. His conversations with the the rugby version of VAR are open on on the air. You can hear what what they're both saying, and it helps everybody. So you you have to ask the question: Why does Riley, who runs the limited company, the profit making company that runs the referees, why does he not want it to happen? If you have nothing to hide, then everything should be out in the open. Um, well, the thing is, uh, Lee Mason, that is the referee involved, blew the whistle, Dunk took the free kick, and then as the ball went into the net, he blew the whistle again, because he saw that uh, the West Brom keeper, Sam Johnson, wasn't in position. Well, as you say, so what? If he'd blown the whistle in the first place, that means you can take the free kick. But, I mean, as you say, Gary Lineker said he'd been in football for 40 years, never seen anything like it. Uh, so then he went and looked at VAR. Then he went over to the pier, uh, the pit side monitor to review a potential offside, even though he's already blown the second whistle. So, I mean, it was a calamity all around. And I think, yeah, he's right, Dunk. The referee needs to explain himself because that was, a, yet again, a shocking display. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what this is all showing is, is really how bad the refereeing is. And it is terrible. It's the worst I've ever seen. You know, until we get openness, until we can see why referees are selected for particular matches in advance, why referees referees make the decisions they do until they're mic'd up so you can hear it you can hear the correspondence with the VAR people it's going to carry on getting worse yeah I mean there's been so much controversy lately with red cards being rescinded and terrible displays and VAR not getting the decisions right and all that kind of thing we're going to come to the Tottenham match but actually the referee was completely anonymous in that game hardly had anything to do even though it was quite an exciting game so they can do their jobs is it getting worse refereeing I don't think there's any question it's getting worse yeah it has been for a number of years and you can certainly take it back to when Riley took charge of the PGML or whatever it is they're, they're called. It's, it's absolutely shocking. And it is, no question, getting worse. Jermaine Genus uh, on Match of the Day, uh, after Lineker had said he'd never seen anything like it, said, the bottom line is the referee's made a mistake when he's blown the whistle. He looked up and saw Johnson standing by the post and panicked. And I think that's probably the word for it, panicked. He said, but quick three kicks are part of the game. It's not a rule that it's not a rule that every player has to be in position. And he said, Dunk has been very smart. He asked the referee the question and he waited for the whistle to blow and the referee blew the whistle that at that point should be the end of it absolutely that should be the end of it it was a, a goal wrongly disallowed yet another goal wrongly disallowed let's put it that way I remember many years ago and it did the rounds in the early days of the internet I think of a referee uh, in one of the English leagues who gave a free kick to one side the goal went in and the referee jumped in the air punching the air when he was asked to explain himself you know are you supporting that team were you celebrating their goal he said no I was celebrating my decision yeah he was very famous Famous referee, wasn't he? A very, very famous one. Yeah, I mean, it just shows most of them are Manchester United fans, and and they're all from up north. So yeah, so you know, if they're from up north, maybe they're not Manchester United fans. If they're because <laughs> most Manchester United fans are in Essex, aren't they? So yeah, another um, embarrassing and poor weekend for referees, but still an interesting one for football. That West Brom one Brighton nil affected both of them really because Brighton have been dragged down into the relegation by their own I'm not going to say poor form but inability to score goals and the other teams around them Fulham for example who are on a bit of a run and West Brom getting that win are sort of dragging them into it yeah but I, I do think Brighton have probably done enough already there, there's enough of a gap there I think I think the choice is 
is is between Fulham and Newcastle United. Because Newcastle, they've just lost Almiron as well and Saint Maximin as well as Callum Wilson. And when Wilson was out, I said, well, where are the goals going to come from? To lose their best two players, is it's going to be very, very difficult for Newcastle to survive. Well, they got a home one-all draw with Wolves at the weekend. Wolves also have a little bit of a tough time. But would that Newcastle getting a point at home to Wolves, would that have pleased them? I mean, they're on such a bad run. Getting a point against Wolves is always a good day, isn't it? When, when you're down down at the bottom, I've said this before and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it. Traditional wisdom says that from Christmas onwards, if you have the same number of points or fewer points than games played, you're in a relegation struggle. The corollary of that, you flip it on its head, that argument, one point you can earn is always a good point. And the closer you get to the end of the season, the more valuable those single points become. So for Newcastle, that was a very, very good result. And it was a poor one for Wolves. Wolves would have gone into that thinking 3-0 to them. So for for Bruce to get Newcastle to the position where they they got a draw with Wolves is actually a a good performance for them. And that's down, you think, to Steve Bruce's management skills? Because the fans do not like him at all. You know what I've, I've always thought about Steve Bruce? I've always thought he was absolutely useless. But in the last 12 months, I think he's done a fantastic job. And is it down to is it down to him? Yes, because if you look at the quality of the players in the team, you struggle to find any at all. Shelby, Fraser, if he decides he wants to play that day. The two brothers, if they play, but there's a, there are problems there. Um, so yeah, I think it is down it is down to to Bruce. And if he can keep them up, then he's he would have done a fantastic job. And the club are in some disarray but still. Uh, Mike Ashley trying to sell the club. All sorts of strange things happening there. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes, which probably does kind of unsettle the players and the management team so they are playing against the backdrop of uncertainty uh, so well done to Steve Bruce I suppose it is a point gained uh, Leeds United were at home to Aston Villa there was only one goal in it unbelievably it was Leeds nil, Villa 1 normally with Leeds you get a lot more goals than that neither team can, can put a run together a run of wins or even a run of a run of losses it's all you know win one lose one win one lose one for, for both of them so trying to predict the result of that was a nightmare could have been 3-0 to either side 3-3 draw 5 all, anything for it to only be 1-0 was a, was a surprise um, I think Melier the Leeds goalkeeper had a good game played very well to, and probably kept the score down Leeds when the, when they fire in attack are very very good but it, it, the way they play because there's no safety net there they either score or, or the opposition get the ball and attack them and really Villa was set up very well to do that and players like McGinn are, you know, without Grealish there are, are really stepping forward and showing how good they are and I can't remember the name of him but the the guy who's playing in the position that Grealish plays is, is playing extremely well and I wish I could remember his name yeah I mean Bielsa said he wanted Grealish to, pl- to play because he wanted his team to have a test a proper test I mean he's an unusual character isn't he Bielsa um, the other week he said that more important to play b- b- to play beautiful football than to gain points which is which is an amazing sort of thing to say in something that is fi- financial and points based um, so you've got to you've got to love him 1-0 loss at home not great but it seems this season we are talking about teams like Villa and Leeds more than we would have done in previous seasons because they're playing interesting and exciting football whereas in previous seasons that have been Manchester United Arsenal the usual top six we're talking more about the clubs in the middle than we normally would have done I think yeah because everybody from 6th down to 16th is 
is is win one lose one win yeah. one lose one nobody's putting a run together nobody's convincing you know there are in individually some good matches even the Wanderers managed an individually good match this week and you know Spurs again had a had a really good match the question and the thing both managers want is okay you did it this week now do it next week as well and that's what's not been happening in those places between 6th and 16th nobody's putting a run together and there we are so that's Leeds uh, again not getting a draw but losing at home to Villa Crystal Palace nil, Fulham nil. again you've said before you know a point doesn't get you anywhere but that's a a point gain for Fulham I think but in their position yes it's a point closer to Newcastle and if Newcastle had lost then that becomes a very valuable point but it's better to have the point than not have it if you're in a relegation fight the last team the third from bottom team in relegation is often decided on goal difference and therein lies Fulham's problem they can't score goals yeah another nil but uh, Palace it's difficult to, to know what to say about Crystal Palace they are one of those clubs in that bottom 15 or whatever that really there's not a lot to say about but I do think we have to say Roy Hodgson has done a good job keeping them solid and keeping them up because they've been up for the longest stretch ever. Yeah, and in their last five games, they've won three, drawn one, which, which is not a bad result, really, is it? Yeah, so he'd probably think nil-nil against Fulham, nothing to panic about. The big, well, there were several big matches after that on Sunday. Uh, the early one was Leicester 1, Arsenal 3. Now, as a Tottenham fan and you as a West Ham fan, we don't really uh, have much time for Arsenal, the Gunners, the Woolwich, the Gooners, but you've got to give them credit. Yeah, they, they, they played well. Most most of the improvement is down to Obama Yang coming back from injury and playing really, really well. Are they a one-man team? Mm, I think pretty much. When he doesn't perform, they don't perform. But he is. So, you know, stick the points in the back, say, smile, say thank you very much and, and move on. So don't know how much credit is down to the groundsman for it but he's in position and he got three points so good well done yeah i mean i have to say you know and I, it pains me to do it but that's what we're here for to talk about football to beat leicester 3-1 away uh, and leicester have been in the top three for most of the season and deservedly so that's a result that's a good result away from home that is a good result should we mention it now i suppose we should there's an election going on uh, at barcelona back this month i think uh, where they're going to elect a new president and one of them laporta who I think is probably the favourite to get the job, has kind of let it leak that uh, the manager he wants to take over, because Kerman is like a stopgap, I think, there. Ronald Kerman will be out if Laporta wins. He wants Mikel Arteta. When I read that, in uh, it was the Daily Mirror, so who knows. But when I read that yesterday, I fell off my chair. Well, it's absolutely extraordinary thing. If he genuinely did say that, and if he means it, it's even more extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, how can you take a player who's got you know, zero management experience and somebody who was he was at La Masia for for three years as so basically as a schoolboy? Most of his career has been with Everton, a little bit with Arsenal, then going to be you know, put out the cones for Guardiola in training. I think it would be extraordinary if if they gave him the job. If the the uh, one of the other candidates whose name I've forgotten wants uh, Xavi as manager, and there were rumours last week about um, the great. St. Brendan. After I'd finished laughing and thought about it, actually it did make quite a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean we, we thought it was uh, quite left field that Brendan Rodgers, I mean he probably thinks it's about right. You know, he knows he's a good manager, as you said on last week's show he's not as good as he thinks he is. But when we heard that Brendan Rodgers was in the running to be Barcelona manager, we thought it was funny. But look at, look what he's done with Leicester. On that budget, and he's, he gets the best out of new players when they come in to replace his star players who get moved on to so-called bigger clubs. So you can see why they'd look 
look at uh, look at Brendan Rodgers from his record and the way the team plays football. But Mikel Arteta to Barcelona. I mean, now Arsenal have started playing quite well under him. I'm happy for him to leave. <laughs> and I think it would be it would be hilarious to watch that at Barcelona. That would they would be the the, the travelling circus with that. That would be hilarious. Yeah, they're they're almost the Spanish junglers already, aren't they? And they you know they they're in such a, a terrible. We we've been saying this for a year. Barcelona are in a terrible terrible mess from top to bottom in every single department of of the club they're a mess and there was a raid this week from the the financial police and the reason the reason being that clubs and all all football clubs in in Spain are still clubs in other words they are owned by the members of the club not by an individual they have a charter which which governs how they how they operate and part of this charter is how much money they can borrow now Barcelona are way, way, way over this amount, so you can quite imagine why the police would get involved. You know, e- even if no member had contacted the police and said, "I'm a member of Barcelona and I'm worried about this," it's it's public knowledge that they're way, way over their their charter budget or charter allowance, shall we say, for loans. But almost every football club that is still a club has the same problem, and even if they haven't borrowed more money, they will be in breach of their charter obligations because the value of the their players has fallen 20% since COVID-19. Each one of them doesn't have an amount of money they can borrow. They have a percentage of the assets of the club. And so if those assets, which are mainly players, fall 20%, the value of the ground falls, all of a sudden you're breaching your, your charter. Now, Barcelona are almost certainly doing that. I would guess Real Madrid are as well. But if the banks are supporting them, that's kind of okay. But I think we're going to find some much, much more serious stuff coming out of this Barcelona story. I think there's there's a lot more fraud happened there than we know about at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing about, you know, the, the charter and, you know, if it goes down by 20% or like, that's one thing, but they actually made arrests when they did the raid. So it's not just like, look, you know, times are hard, coronavirus, all that, you've gone beyond what your charter allows you to do. They actually arrested people and raided the club. So I think when you use the word fraud, I think that's what we might be looking at. Yeah, but the, the, the point about the charter is the charter is backed by Spanish law. So if it's written, same as, as the memorandum or articles of association of any limited company in the UK, that is backed by the law. You cannot breach those things. Yes, it is very, very serious. Most of the directors under the previous um, previous president have been arrested as well, as has the president himself. It's going to get very, very interesting. You know, so what, what is it, the, the old Arab saying? May you live in interesting times? Yeah, I'm not sure if that, is that Chinese or Arabic, but yeah, maybe may you live in interesting times. Pardon the pun, but it's going to get very messy at Barcelona over the next few weeks. Let's move on because this is what I've been building up to since Sunday uh, was Tottenham 4, Burnley 0. Now, you can keep saying it was only Wolfsburger, it's only Burnley, Burnley's defence were in disarray on Sunday, but Tottenham had a front four of Son, Kane, Mora and Bale and Bale as his best or getting back to his best that front form when the team sheet came out must have sent shivers down the spines of the Burnley defence. Yeah, and, and the Burnley defence that is very well organised, very experienced, very well coached. But those four and the movement they have is will, will cause problems to any defence. So, but you you cannot equate Burnley with the you know the bunch of the bunch of Austrian photocopy uh, toner salesmen that that you played last week. I mean, come on, that's you know I, I'm I'm sure my my schoolboy team could have given them a game. But but to beat Burnley four 0 is a very very good result because Burnley are well organised team. They know what they're doing and they're hard to beat. But that that front four, with the movement they have, is going to trouble you know better teams than Burnley. 
Yes, it was uh, it was a very good game. Gareth Bale was by far man of the match. He played played 69, 70 minutes, which is just about the longest he's played in a match so far this season. Uh, I think he's got something like eight goals, nine goals for Tottenham this season in all competitions, three in the league. But somebody who's only playing, you know, half a game every other game, that's not bad, actually. Uh, he scored two in the game against Burnley. One was a, a, a tap-in uh, from a pass from... A, pinpoint pass from uh, Son and Son, Kane and Bale have started passing to each other in the way that Kane and Son were doing. Kane's goal came from a long range pass from Gareth Bale. You won't see a more accurate pass over the top of the defence into the path of uh, Harry Kane. It was brilliant from Bale. Uh, then he had a very good uh, goal himself, a second goal, Bale. But one of the things that I said to you before was that pleased me was he uh, was running down the wing with the ball, pushed the ball past one of the Burnley midfielders and then, who was in front of him, ran past the Burnley player to get the ball again and then showed uh, some speed to get past the Burnley player uh, I think we've got Bale back obviously it's not the Bale from seven years ago and as Mourinho said we don't want that Bale this Bale that's playing now that's what we need and he looked great he really did yeah and, it, and it's very good to see because he's one of the players that you would that everybody irrespective of which club you support you want to see him play because he's just he's great value isn't he really really good value and, and and by the way don't don't say bad things about, or try and downgrade the tappings because the person speaking now me I managed to miss from one foot out from one foot out and one foot inside the post and managed to put it over the bar and wide from from a foot so tappings are actually quite difficult uh, yeah and it was it was a pass from Son Min uh, Son Kun Min which came speeding through the box and and Bale ran onto it and put his toe to it. That's what you play forward players to do. And I think Gary Lineker was, you know, once asked, how come 90% of your goals were inside the box and just over the line? And he said, that's, that was my job. I was a goal hanger. That's what I had to do. Uh, you don't see that so much now, I don't think, goal hangers as it were. But Bale had a near-perfect performance. Um, many of the, the sort of London-based papers gave, gave him 10 out of 10. I think that's a bit too much for a 70-minute performance. But Bale was by far the man of the match. But Tottenham eased into a 4-0 victory. It is only Burnley. We've got um, Crystal Palace coming up. We've got Fulham coming up. And we've got Arsenal coming up. Only Burnley. How many teams beat Burnley 4-0 this season? Um, I don't think there's very many. The, the important question is, can Spurs do it again? That's the issue. Yeah, after the game, Bale was asked, you know, were you disappointed being substituted after 70 minutes? And he said, no, I was perfectly happy with it because I know, this is this whole thing that Mourinho keeps going on about, I know my own body, I'm still building uh, on my confidence and my strength and my fitness, uh, and we've got another game coming up. And he'd done his job, he'd scored two and assisted one. You know, we, we were falling up by the time he got substituted. I was happy to see him go off the field, we didn't need him for that last 20 minutes. Yeah, if your team's 4-0 up, then you want your best players off the pitch resting, don't you? Well, exactly. So hopefully, he's, I mean, he said himself, we've got, you know, three games coming up in very quick succession, uh, so I was happy to be substituted. That's great, and uh, maybe he will play in the next game, I don't know. Deli Ali came on, was, was okay, but that's another option instead of Mora, who was part of that top four. Uh, but Mora had a great game, great game, and scored a goal. So all round, yes, it was possibly only Burnley, but as you say, Burnley are the team, one of the teams that beat Liverpool this season, and they've had a couple of good results against top six teams. So all round, great. So for one game, Tottenham looking much better. Their first league win for a very long time. Uh, one of the other games on Sunday: Chelsea nil, Man United nil. I, I don't think either team particularly looked like they were going to score. Was it a case of 
they didn't want to open themselves up and expose themselves by trying too hard to score and nobody wanted to lose. Yeah, I think both teams were set up to not lose. Neither manager wanted to take the risk necessary to, to win the game, to be quite honest. Now, the big talking point of the game was obviously the penalty that wasn't given. And my take on that is that Rashford handballed it first, then it went on to hudson Adoy's. I think it went on to his arm, but usually those are given nowadays. I think wrongly, but the way it's interpreted now, that is nowadays, that's a penalty. But I do think Rashford handballed it first. Yeah, the ball sort of was bobbing between the two of them as they were just leaving the box, actually, sort of trying to get out of the box. And it did seem to bounce off Rashford's I don't know, upper arm onto the lower arm of hudson Adoy. Whether he meant to touch it or not doesn't actually matter in these days. If the ball touches your arm, it is a penalty. But if it touched Rashford first, then because the referee went to look at the monitor and then he said no penalty, but it touched Rashford's arm first, so that's a free kick out of the box defensive free kick for Chelsea but he didn't give that no I mean it was another instance of the referee and VAR getting it all completely wrong I think the thing that they should have done was give the free kick to Chelsea it stops all the all the questions but they're completely incompetent and they don't know what they're doing I mean, what you'd argue that if he didn't give the free kick, then he doesn't think Rashford it hit Rashford's arm, but it did hit hurt to the Doy's arm. So therefore, it's either a penalty or it's a free kick. But he gave neither, so we don't even know what it was. <laughs> but it was nil-nil. We do know that, uh, and probably having watched the match myself, that's probably a fair result because, as you said, they didn't they didn't want to take the risk of going one uh, trying to get one nil up and going one nil down and uh, neither t- neither side could afford to lose that unbeaten tuckle so far with Chelsea yeah, but, but the, f- the final criticism of Lampard was that he couldn't get those attacking players to really, really play well together. Tuchel isn't either. Sometimes they look quite good and other times they don't. So he still hasn't found the, the formula that really works there in attack. So there is still a question mark there, but they're not losing games and they're not conceding many goals. And that's a huge improvement from where they were before. The other game on Sunday was Sheffield United nil, Liverpool 2. Uh, Liverpool back to winning ways, but... Before the game, and on the radio show that you and I do for 93.6 Global Radio here on the Costa del Sol, we do a, a, a sports show on a Saturday afternoon. We all predicted that Liverpool would win. It's got nothing to do with their slide or fall from grace or whatever it was, bad run. Everybody's beating Sheffield United, sadly, and... Uh, it was expected, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was It was a regulation win. But I think you can see Liverpool w- were playing better than they have been in the last couple of months. They look to be almost back to where they were before. And I think they, like Chelsea, will finish in the top four. By the way, that, uh, that second goal for Liverpool was a sort of landmark goal. It was the 7,000th goal for Liverpool in England's top division. Just to give you a little bit of trivia there. Uh, the other team that had done it are, would you believe, Everton with 7,108. I suppose that's because those teams are ever-present in the top division. Yeah, but if, if, the, if the counting is done by Scousers, then it's probably, <laughs> probably 4,000. Uh, and uh, yesterday's game, because we are recording this on a Tuesday, in yesterday's game it was Everton 1, Southampton 0. Everton back to looking like they are pushing for, well, top 4 or top 6, do you think? I think they're pushing for top six. Uh, I think they're pushing for top six. Uh, again, they, they they don't convince because they have one good performance and one... They, they don't have bad performances, but they just have this sort of meh performance. If they can play as well next week and the week after, then, then six is a credible target, I think. 
I, I was reading the commentary online and comments coming from coming in from Southampton fans. Quite sort of sad, really, or depressed comments. One said, the problem with my club or our club is that the Saints are a selling club. And we've never had the budget from the owners to really push on. Hassan Huddle, the manager, is not to blame for, for any of our poor form. If we'd have been able to play buy top players, he would be really pushing us. Uh, and Southampton... F- Fans seem to feel that they're being pulled down into the relegation battle, but they're way ahead. They're way ahead. They're, they won't be in the relegation battle at all. Um, the problem they have is is not that um, these these people now are thinking Southampton are a selling club. Southampton have always been a selling club. Always. The problem is the uh, seventy million pounds that they borrowed from uh, this company MSD, which is the finance company owned by Michael Dell of Dell Computers, who have lent money to I think is five Premier League clubs. So far this season. It's becoming a scandal and I think will very soon become quite publicly a scandal. They're lending this money at 9.2% when any limited company can borrow money at 0.25%. They're making a fortune out of these clubs and these clubs are borrowing this money, huge amounts of money, to pay ongoing operations. In other words, to make up the loss of crowd income. So I think we're going to see football clubs going bust and quite a few of them. Yeah, it's sad times, uh, and uh, some people are just taking advantage of that, and it's uh, pretty disgusting. Yeah, the, these loans are all all secured against the grounds and training grounds of the, shall we call them clubs for the moment, concerned. 70 million write off for Dell if he's sitting on the land, which is going to make a fantastic hypermarket or shopping mall. This is where we're going. The reason we're going there is because clubs were allowed to incorporate and become limited companies. Thank you, Mrs. Thatcher. Yes, yeah, well done, Mrs. Thatcher, a lot to answer for. Uh, yeah, but that is a very, very sad thing, and people taking advantage of it. You know, we do live in a free market and all that, but taking advantage like that when you can get loans cheaper elsewhere is just it's a scandal. Let's move on and have a little look at what's coming up. Tottenham beat Burnley 4-0 at home. Burnley are at home to Arsenal on Saturday. Uh, for me, Jeff, again, I think Burnley will, will lose that one. Arsenal seem to be on a little bit of a run. Yeah, I know. M- most of my predictions in the last couple of weeks have been on the basis that, that there's a team that's lost a couple, they must come good. So I'm going to say that this will be the match. Burnley come good and they win 2-1. Very bold. Very bold for Burnley there. But, uh, right, you're going for 2-1 to Burnley. I mean, as a Tottenham fan, I'd, I'd love to see Arsenal getting beaten, but I think I think they're too strong for Burnley, personally. Uh, Sheffield United against Southampton. Well, that's two teams that need to come good. Yeah, 2-0 to Southampton. 2-0 to Southampton for that one. Yeah, I think they're probably right. Uh, and Aston Villa against Wolves. I think that's quite an even match, having looked at how Wolves and Villa have been playing lately. Yeah, I think if Grealish plays, Villa win. If he doesn't play, it's a draw. And then, well, this for me is an interesting one. Brighton against Leicester, uh, one of the bottom teams against one of the top teams. Uh, but Leicester have got some real injury woes now. They've got players out having surgery, all sorts of things. They lost t- at home to Arsenal. Brighton will feel hard done to over the last few games. As you say, they can't score. But um, <laughs> that, I think that's going to be a fascinating game. And I'd, I'd quite like Brighton to, to, to win that one. Yeah, it's um, Harvey Barnes was the latest injury injury problem for Leicester from that last last match. So they've got a, a few. Yeah, he's, he's going to have sh- surgery. So they've got a few players out. But I think again, th- this is Leicester are going to bounce back and they're going to win two nil. So that's Brighton still going to be dragged further into the relegation mire. Talking of relegation, uh, one team that's m- almost definitely going down against one that we've said could get dragged into it: West Brom against Newcastle. That's a, a veritable six pointer. 
Well, except that I think the three points don't matter to West Brom. They're down anyway. But uh, Newcastle really have to win. They really have to win that match, I think. But will they? Um, yeah, I think they will. So we go for West Brom to lose at home and, and pretty much guarantee their drop to the championship. Another team uh, in that area is Fulham. They're away at Liverpool. Not much in it for them. Not much in it for them. 2-0 to Liverpool for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then, I suppose, an interesting one for football fans. Man City against Man United. Uh, Manchester Derby. I still think Man City will win that, but I think it'll be closer. But I think it'll be as close as the West Ham game was. I think it probably 2-1 to Man City. Um, I'll go for a draw. Manchester United's defence is terrible. And, you know, if it's, if your defence has got Maguire and De Gea in it, then it's terrible. So 2-2. Two, two. 2-2 two, two. so you don't think they're going to be as cautious as they were against Chelsea but because they have got they've got the firepower United and then Tottenham against Crystal Palace that's got to, for me that's I don't think it'll be a 4 nil up I think probably 2 nil to Tottenham 1-1 one, one draw you think Crystal Palace will get a, a draw at Tottenham if he plays with Mora and well especially Kane Bale and Son I said before in this podcast a few weeks ago that it didn't look like the uh, Tottenham players were passing to Bale and didn't trust him in that game against Burnley he was integral and the other players knew it. If they play that in the first half, that front four, I think uh, Palace will find themselves behind at the break. But Palace, when we come towards the end of the season, have got a history of, of upsetting upsetting the big clubs, and I think this will be a time when they will. Uh, Chelsea against Everton. I mean, again, Everton, as you say, one, one week they look good, one week they look a bit meh, as you said. And Chelsea still haven't lost under Tuchel, but still, he still hasn't gotten firing, has he, as you said. Maybe he's shored up the defence a bit. They've had quite a few clean sheets. Yeah, that Chelsea should win that 2-0, I think. And then finally, West Ham against Leeds. Well, it's a Leeds match, so just pick any number, really. Yeah. Um, I, I'd go 2-1 West Ham. Great. Well, I, I mean, as a Tottenham fan, I hope not, because we're way behind you and we need to catch you up a little bit. Uh, those are our predictions. Time for the answer to your trivia question. Many, many strikers have, have scored hat-tricks of headers, so three headers in one match. A few have got four headers, four-headed goals in one match. One player has got five in one match, and it was Malcolm McDonald, who did it for England against Cyprus in 1975. Five, he scored five goals, all headers in an international. That is absolutely amazing. I mean, I mean, two, three headers in a game is one thing. Sometimes you get left foot, right foot header, hat trick, perfect hat trick. But I think five he- five headers in one game, no matter who the opposition, is absolutely incredible. And he wasn't the tallest man in the world. So that is brilliant, Malcolm McDonald. That's all we've got time for. We'll be back next week. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.